This week on the Vergecast, Alex Kranz joins the show to talk about the new Google Pixel 6, a bunch of other gadgets that came out this week. And Russell Brandon joins the show to talk about Apple's new system uh, for detecting illegal imagery on your phone. That's coming up on the Vergecast now. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to Vergecast, the flagship podcast of Double Vaccine. Ooh. That's what I want to call it, right? Where you, you, you mix and match your vaccines. But the problem mm-hmm. is that the Pfizer and Moderna are already two shots. So it's kind of like a double. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. We're going to need a term for it because it's going to come up. Yeah. All right. Well, if you think of one, let us know. Anyway, I'm Neil. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I'm the person who came up with the term hybrid vax. Hybrid. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Although it does sound like one of the one of the vaccines runs on gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know. I don't want to spread any more misinformation than is absolutely necessary this time. One gives you 5G and the other one is gasoline. And who knows which one is which? I got another one. Oh, boy. Before before you introduce Alex. You ready? Yeah. Chimeravax. Oh, that's... No. That makes it sound like the island of Dr. Moreau. Like, when you... All these names, you got to imagine, like, what is the crazy right-wing ecosystem going to do? Yeah. And it, they're going to start screenshotting the island of Dr. Moreau. Patriot Vax. That's nope. good. Yeah. Oh, no. That's actually good. That's good. Hi, Alex. Yeah. Alex Kranz is here. Yeah, I am. I'm the Patriot Vax. I got my <laughs> I got my hat. I got my, my flag. A lesser known DC superhero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Killed in the first act of Suicide Squad. Um, actually, speaking of, we have, there's a lot to talk about. Dieter held a Pixel 6 mm-hmm. and what it looks like is in his brain. <laughs> nowhere else. We got to talk about that. Uh, there's some big Apple privacy photo scanning news. Russell's going to join us to talk about that. And there's all kinds of other gadgets. But let's start at the start. We're already talking about COVID. We're in a strange period of COVID. It is back with a moderate vengeance because of, of Delta. So the, the good news is that hospitalizations and deaths are are not spiking, but cases are spiking. The reasons hospitalizations and deaths are not spiking as badly because the vaccines work. Problem is not everybody in this country is taking the vaccines. So we're in a wave of things like office reopenings are getting postponed. Big companies are all postponing their office reopenings. That's Google, that's Apple, and so on. The New York Auto Show was supposed to be this month. 
I was very excited about it because it was going to be a very EV focused auto show. There's been a lot of rumors about cars and now it's canceled because the Delta variant is causing enough problems, even in New York state where the vaccination rates are high. And then in many places around the country, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, vaccine rates are low and people are, are dying. So we're kind of in an odd stage of it. We're hearing a lot about vaccine mandates from various companies to go into their businesses, to work in their businesses. You have to be vaccinated. That is obviously politically dicey. We're hearing a lot of back and forth about that. There's a lot of prove that you're vaccinated. So there's all kinds of apps and services. Uh, New York City has something called the key to the city. No. (laughs) (sighs) It's an app. And to to dine inside, you got to show your vaccine proof with the key to the city. Has Mayor Bill de Blasio ever done anything that didn't make you cringe just a little? One time he wore like a Hawaiian shirt to a pool party. And I was like, all right. Oh, that's good. That's nice. You got the right. That was it. That's the only thing that's on my list. Yelp is going to let businesses start listing their vaccination policies. So there's just a lot of that. You know, the, the sort of verge element of this is there's a lot of privacy implications with having databases that people need to check all the time and serious ones. And I, I think the concerns about who can access those databases when and why are, are real, uh, especially with things on your phone and things in the cloud. But at the same time, there is but one way out of this nonsense. I would really like to hold on the verge our birthday party in October, in late October. I would like to have yeah. it. I'd like to see yeah. all of you there. There's only one way that happens. And that is if, vaccination rates go up and we overcome the Delta wave and we don't end up in the Lambda wave, which is already happening in South America. So please, I beg you, get vaccinated. The other thing to know is that Moderna is already saying that a third shot might be necessary. So Moderna and Pfizer are the the two-shot mRNA protocols. Pfizer, I think we talked about this last week, Pfizer is still effective after six months, even against the variants. Moderna is starting to say, hey, to protect against these variants, you might need a third shot. Good news is the vaccines are effective against the variants, but we're just, we're coming up on that, that like timeline of, oh boy, we're going to have to do this all over again. Yeah. I would prefer not to do that. I'm assuming most listeners of the show don't need me to implore them to get vaccinated, but if you're on the margin, just, I, I did it. Just go, go do it. You'll be fine. You'll get great 5G. Or you're driving in the car with a friend who you know isn't. Just like turn the podcast up a little. <laughs> yeah. Look knowingly at them at the stoplight. A person tweeted at me, why are you, Why do you keep telling people to get vaccinated at the end of the show? Your listeners must all be vaccinated. And uh, in the U.S., at least, as of a couple of weeks ago, people under 40, uh, less than half had had their second shot. So if you're listening to this, there might actually be a decent chance that you haven't been fully vaccinated. And just come on. Yeah, it's time. I, and I need to just tell this to Dieter to, to say this out loud. The quarterback for the Vikings Cousins, oh, got COVID, <laughs> couldn't go to training camp. Yep. Still refuses to get vaccinated. And the coach was like, fucking Facebook. Yep. Like pretty directly. He's like, the problem here is bad information to the players. And he's like, it is what it is. And he's very frustrated and unhappy. And like, I don't know, you're the coach. Bench him. (laughs) (laughs) The bench is right there. You can surround it with the plexiglass that the cousins asked for. Just do it. Yeah. It's real bad. But hopefully, uh, hopefully people get a sense of their responsibility and they, they do this thing and we can have our birthday party in October, which is, I've been thinking about that party and what it would be like to actually see everybody. We have, we have really cool ideas yeah. to bring the verge to life in person. And I'll just be honest, I'm a little nervous right now. So if you're hesitant, if you are worried, 
There's a lot of great material on our site, other sites. Google's going to build a website that helps you get tested. <laughs> <laughs> How long have we been doing this? Anyhow, speaking of Google, there's my segue. That's good. I love it. Dieter, you went to Google's campus. I did. I went to Camp Charleston. It's called Camp Charleston. They have an outdoor tented area with like outdoor, like open air meeting rooms and they call it Camp Charleston because that's the name of one of the roads next to the Google campus. That's pretty good. And then you you were allowed to hold the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro. Correct. Ask questions about it. Correct. But not take any photos or videos of it. Also correct. And also not receive a whole lot of information. (laughs) Tell us about the Pixel 6. A a limited amount of information. So the leaks that you have probably seen are accurate. It is a big squarish phone and the back is got, you know, a glass and then there's a big long camera bar that runs the length of it. And then there's a different color glass above the camera bar. It feels nice. It feels, you know, like premium. Uh, I hate that word a little bit, but it's also like the word. And my takeaway is that Google is trying this time really hard to make a phone that feels like it could compete with the next high-end iPhone or the next high-end Samsung phone. Well, the one after, that's 21, maybe not the next high-end Samsung (laughs) phone, which will be folding. It feels nice. There's two sizes. I believe it's 6.4, 6.7. And this is exciting. There's a new camera sensor in it. Not the same one that they've been using since like the Pixel 2. (laughs) Um, The rumor is that it might be 50 megapixels. They wouldn't say. There's also a folding telephoto lens on the Pro. They look very, very similar. Like unless you like physically set them next to each other and see that one is a little bit taller than the other, they're very difficult to tell apart. So I'm a little bit tempted to just go with the 6 because it's a little bit smaller, but you lose 120 hertz refresh rate screen and you lose the folding optical lens. But the whole point of all of this was not to show off the hardware. They kind of just had to because they know and everybody knows. The point of this was to talk about Tensor. Tensor is... Uh, it's when you're a little bit uh, nervous <laughs> and then you get a little bit more nervous that Apple's eating your lunch. And so as because you're more nervous, you're Tensor. But, yeah. You know, you oh. can't make a good phone. Uh, tensor is T-E-N-S-O-R. I'm Tensor it's, now. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> After um, that joke, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a system on a chip. Like every phone, it's got a CPU and a GPU and an image processor and blah, 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 blah. Google is putting on what I thought was going to be the first, but it turns out that it's the second, mobile TPU. And TPU is a tensor processing unit. That is the custom silicone that Google's been making for a while now in its data centers for doing machine learning stuff. So think of it as like a GPU that doesn't have as much of like actual graphic stuff, but does similar kinds of operations. It's just custom designed to do machine learning and AI. And so they are trying to build the TPU into the pipeline of a lot of the stuff that the phone does. And so the two big examples right now are like voice stuff and camera stuff. And so that, that tracks. Yeah. It's like, those are Google's demos, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Like here's a great photo and here's a great voice recognition speech to text. That's what they wanted to show you. They showed you some demos. We should talk about those demos. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Apple makes chips. Yep. They've got a neural engine on them. Yep. Is this the same as that? Let's just like put this into. Sure. They're not giving any details on like the core CPU, GPU stuff here. They're saying they're licensing some parts of their system on the chip. Rumor is they're working with Samsung. And so that might be sort of like Exynos with Google stuff. But the big question is, is this like 
a genuinely new thing that Google makes that is new and interesting and like you can think of it as like they're getting out of the Qualcomm box and actually able to, you know, make their own faster chips or is this just they've got a coprocessor that does machine learning stuff on the side and they're doing an excellent job branding it by putting it onto like a custom system on a chip that also has like the section that Samsung made and the section that, you know, Qualcomm made or whatever the hell. I mean, it, it, unclear. That's unclear. If it is XNS, there's a lot of rumors out there that this is an XNS chip. One, no other phone in the United States has an XNS chip on it that I'm mm-hmm. aware of. So that's like a big deal that Google would be allowing Samsung into the US market in this way. Very big questions about what modem would it use, right? Like, yeah. even every phone in the United States basically has a Qualcomm modem in it. The only people who don't use it are Apple. They're still using it because they had to buy Intel's modem division yep. and like fix it, right? Like, there's a lot of big questions there. Well, there's also a middle ground option, which is Samsung is manufacturing it instead of TSMC, but it's not really an Exynos design. It just happens to share a bunch of stuff because ARM just makes like default designs, right? Like this is what a big chip, this is what a little. And so it's possible that it is like fully Google designed, like top to bottom, but it's designed in such a way that's sort of off the shelf from like ARM's standard mm-hmm. designs. And so therefore it won't sort of outperform Qualcomm in, in certain ways. During our talk, uh, Rick Oslo, uh, hardware chief at Google, likes to talk a lot about how like benchmarks are bad. They don't measure what he want, you know, you should be measuring. And their benchmarks just don't exist for the kind of AI and machine learning stuff that uh, the Pixel 6 is good at. And like Google needs to like figure out a way to like put specs on that that people can understand. I mean, that's what? fair. What are the good benchmarks nowadays for a phone? Like, if I want to know a phone is fast, what am I looking at? Am I looking at just, like, how it browses The Verge? Well, uh, first step is do you uh, try and see if the company that made it has done anything uh, hinky to mess with your idea (laughs) of what the benchmarks are? Because that's pretty common. The web is actually a pretty good way to check. Because sometimes web pages are heavy and they can bog a phone down. But often companies will do specific things to Chrome to like extend or reduce battery life. So that isn't necessarily a good benchmark. So Osterlo is not wrong that benchmarking is complicated and computers are getting more heterogeneous is the word. It's not just one thing. However, just because that's true doesn't mean that they're not getting just completely spanked by the A-series chip that Apple makes, (laughs) right? Yeah, and Apple's benchmarks, like, they just, like, don't label the Y-axis, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, unclear. (laughs) We just know they're fast. Yeah. The the reason I bring up all this stuff about Samsung and Exynos is the Google-Samsung relationship is in a really weird place. Mm -hmm. They partnered together on watches. Samsung decided to drop Tizen. They're partnered together potentially on this chip. That's really interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Google's making a phone that if they actually do it, if they succeed, the natural place that they will take market share away from is Samsung. Yep. Also, not not for nothing, Samsung was somehow convinced to stop pushing Samsung messages and let uh, Android messages be the default on Android phones around the world. Yeah, I don't. There's something happened. Like, did, mm-hmm. was there is there a new Samsung executive who like listens to the Vergecast? Reveal yourself. <laughs> TM, we know we know you're listening. I would say weirder things have happened than like 
a Vergecast listener gets a job and then something changes. Like, uh, we've been doing this for 10 years. Strange, strange things have happened, but that whole relationship to me seems really odd, especially when you say Google's going for it. They're making a flagship, which Mm -hmm. is something we've been imploring them to for years. And like, they're not going to take market share away from Apple. They're only going to take it from the zombie brands that still exist in the United States and Samsung. Yeah. When you say it's a flagship, what does that mean? What is it? What is a computer? Okay. Eli? What is okay. <laughs> it's a top tier phone that's going to cost more. It's easily going to cost more than a thousand dollars. At least the pro will. I'm sure of it. Mm-hmm. It has flagship specs across the board. So, uh, you know, with the Pixel 5, you know, it had a slower processor. It had the old camera. It didn't have all the camera sensors. If you just like do a spec chart and you're like, what will Android super fans be mad that this thing lacks? They're trying to get rid of all of those things so that it has all the camera systems. It has the high megapixel count. It has enough RAM. It has a big screen. It has a high refresh rate. It just, it has all the stuff. And then in addition to that, it feels like a premium, nice phone because every pixel up to now, like literally everyone, maybe with the exception of, I guess the pixel four, yeah. you're like, oh, you, you, you made a phone that could have been like premium and nice and feel like it, you know, is worth the money. And then you, you just like dipped it in plastic. <laughs> Unapologetically <laughs> plastic. Yeah. Yeah. Like all of their phones have been like metal anodized, you know, beautiful metal. And then they painted over with plastic to like give it a different feel and a different grip. And I like that there's like a humility to that, but it also is like, it's time to stop. It's time to just make a flagship phone with all the specs that feels like it belongs on the shelf next to an S21. You mentioned that in Google's earnings call, their CFO was like, get ready for us to spend a lot of money in advertising. Yeah. That like, they got to have a phone that's, that's worth the advertising Right, like yep. before they'd be like, we are marketing the phone. I'd be like, there's one billboard in Brooklyn. I have seen it's it. It's great. Yeah. I already have the phone. So you're not getting a lot of value out of that. But like they're gonna go why they're gonna like, spend a lot of money. Well, that's the promise. And they they're they're interested in picking up market share. Rick Osterlo said that this finally really is the Google phone. So uh, you know, Google promises to actually go big and try and like sell phones is a thing that They've been kind of saying, or at least not denying, I don't know, uh, but this year they're actually saying it, but who knows? It's it's possible that they won't actually try, or it's possible that they will try and it won't matter. But the goal here is to have this not just be the phone in the back of the Verizon store. The goal is to have it be the phone in the front of the Verizon store, that, that when you walk into the Verizon store, the Verizon salesperson knows that they're going to get a little bonus if they happen to sell you a Pixel phone, Right. Alex looks very concerned. I just, I keep <laughs> I looking at it and, and I'm sorry. I just keep getting confused by the camera because it's so like big. And I keep thinking about wireless charging Ooh. and like putting it on a big wireless charging mat. Is it going to have wireless charging? I'm sure it will have wireless charging. I'm not concerned about wireless charging. That's it's like okay. big enough that you'll be able to set it on something. Uh, more concerning is potentially a case because Ooh, that yeah. bar goes all the way across the back of it. So getting a case that can fit around that camera bar or having to deal with like a two-part case, which is always terrible, mm-hmm. unclear. The good news about that camera bar is it does have like the tiniest little like lip over the glass. The metal that is on the top and the bottom of it goes over just a little bit. So it should protect the glass on the back there a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that that just feels like I will break it immediately. Oh, I one yeah. time got I a mean, phone repaired and broke it two hours later. Ooh, what just, phone? 
It was like my iPhone 5. Yeah. Like threw it on the ground in an Ikea parking lot while people were like, why? And I was like, I don't know. Just sobbing, looking at my busted phone. So this one looks like I'm not going to take it to Ikea anytime soon. Yeah. I feel like we need to be honest about these camera bumps. Like everyone is like, well, they're there. Why hide them? And it's like, but why are they there? Why are they so big? They're there so that you can have a good camera. Right. But why do they have to be bumps? Oh, why isn't the phone just that thick? If the phone were that thick, you'd be like, this phone is too thick. But what if the phone were that thick and also didn't break? Like, <laughs> Now you're like making it out of plastic. We're just like going yeah, back to where we came from. What if the case was part of it, right? And then you just have like a nice phone. And it's a little thicker than, than my current phone, but I don't have to go spend $50 extra for a case and I can throw it on the ground at Ikea. <laughs> Yeah, like, a bunch of a bunch of companies have tried that, and no one no one likes it. Okay, like yeah. that's kind of the answer. So we just uh, like the bump. Well, I mean, here's the other question about the bump. The bump, I don't know. I'm used to it now, so I, I think it's like it's prominent and fine. It's like you know, it's like a Jordy LaForge visor, um, so it's cool. <laughs> but I don't know. Does the bump on an iPhone, uh, you know, 12 look okay, or does it look? You know, it's like you, if you're gonna have a bump, there's only so many ways to do it, and there's like, all of them look silly, like, if you step back and think about it for a minute. I mean, as bumps go, I love this bump. I I, I think it's it's bold. And it's, it's really, like, going for it. It's not trying to hide that it's a bump. Like, I feel a lot of phones are like, well, we're a bump, but shh. <laughs> Don't look. Shh. Yeah. I and this that, one's like, no, we're a bump. But the case question is going to be really interesting here, right? Like, t- they can't do two-part cases. So it's going to have to be, like, a yeah. flip, like, a, there's going to be a big hole in the case. It's going to be, like, all floppy, right? Yeah. But I do think everyone puts their phone in cases. Cases are a big business for all the cell carriers. Ashley wrote a story ages ago where she interviewed the the people in charge of cases at Verizon and AT&T. Those people think they are the biggest trendsetters in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Like they think they are fashion designers. They're like, we here's what we do. We set the trends for America. It's, it's like an amazing piece. It's worth reading. But Google, like Apple shows up with a new phone there are already iPhone 13 case mockups floating around. Yep. Right. Like all the case makers are on it. They know it's a market. They got to get in there. Apple is like suing people in China about leaks. And yep. one of their stated, which is really weird, by the way. But one of their stated reasons for doing it is that leaks make case makers waste money, which is like the most. Like you don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, that, that is that is by the way the most attention Apple has paid to third party iPhone accessory makers in the history of Apple. <laughs> if you put, put that much effort into the smart connector on the iPad, please. Yeah. It's just like I don't I don't believe you, but okay, I'm glad that you're pretending to care. Um, if Google wants to be at the front of the store and get the spiffs and like they need that whole ecosystem of stuff yep. around these phones. And so when I hear like they're going to go for it, They've got to think through the whole experience and put a maybe waste a lot of money, mm-hmm. right? In order to like get the market share that, like, yeah, the chargers in the phone stores right now are labeled Apple and Samsung. Yeah, we're, we're done pretending that there are underlying standards here that are worth caring about. There's the Apple charger and there's the Samsung charger, and like Google needs to get in on that conversation in some way. Yeah. I mean, they've been making cases. Uh, it's impossible to sell a phone without selling a proprietary pair of Bluetooth headphones. Mm-hmm. The buds have done eh. Uh, maybe they'll get, take another shot at that. Like, And, you know, there was no mention of the watch, but there's rumors that they're working on a watch at some point. So I don't think this fall they're going to come out with a whole 
that whole entire ecosystem story, but they should have enough to like convince your local AT&T store employee to push this thing on you. That's a little I, bit. Nothing That's more. what you want. My dad's yeah. going to end up with one of these phones because AT&T yeah. is just going like, <laughs> to sneak it into his <laughs> life. We actually have not talked about the TPU at all, the Tensor part of yeah, it. Yeah. What were the demos they showed you? There were two from the camera and two with voice. Uh, the first one was not uh, magically getting rid of a chain link fence in front of a Little League player, which <laughs> I've been waiting for them to do forever. It was a blurry picture of a kid. And then the the promise is because the, the photo pipeline runs through the TPU, the TPU is able to do a couple of things that weren't possible before. One is it's also it's able to handle the standard HDR stack of photos the main sensor takes and a super fast photo the ultra wide camera takes at the same time. The TPU is able to recognize that there is a face in the photo and that we like faces to look a certain way. The TPU is able to recognize that the face is blurry and then it's able to combine the sharp image with all of the other not so sharp images from the main sensor and create a sharper image of that kid's face and do all of that without making you wait for Google Photos to process it for 30 seconds, which often happens on the Pixel 5. I mean, that's that's very impressive if they can pull all that off. Right. And it doesn't require internet and it's all... It's all on phone. This is all local. Like, if you remember when they announced Android 12, they had the um, the Android Compute Core, which was like the special, this is where we do local machine learning stuff and it doesn't have access to the internet. We promise it's safe. I think the TPU is designed to, like, handle the stuff that happens inside that core. So all of these demos basically work in airplane mode. It all is happening locally. Two things. One, the what is a photo question just got mm-hmm. vastly more complicated. Why? Because the whole reason that you want to sharpen a kid is because they're usually moving faster than the shutter speed of the camera, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now you you haven't even captured any detail, right? Like you've got a you've got a smear of pixels. Well, no, you you, you capture the detail from the ultra wide. The ultra wide is fast. It takes the super fast shutter speed photo, but a super fast shutter speed photo, you end up with a whole lot of crap you don't want. Grain. It's low light. Blah 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 blah. They get the good stuff from the main sensor, and then they put them together. Right. So they're, they're it's like they're photoshopping two photos together. Yeah. Right. So like HDR, mm-hmm. there's a lot of what is a photo chicanery to discuss. But yeah, at least yeah. like you kind of get it. You're like, we're gonna take five images or fifty or whatever Apple says they're doing now, or like, and we're gonna this we're gonna take the sky from one, and they all happen at the same time from the same perspective. Uh huh. Because it's the same camera. Oh, so you're mad that this is coming out of the other a camera? A different camera the is other now lens. doing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's being used to add detail to this. Like, well, so Neil, uh, Rick Osterl has an answer for you. You're, you're, <laughs> you're not thinking. Of, you're not thinking about it properly. <laughs> of course uh, not. So this problem with the kid, he says, it's quote a very difficult smartphone camera physics problem. And his goal is, quote, we're trying to turn those kinds of problems into data problems. That's just like, it's not illegal if we change the law. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, weed used to be legal, but it's not anymore. Like, it's still weed. Like, there's no. Uh, that, hey, man, it's, I, all, it's all just particles and waves, man. <laughs> I get, I'm just saying that I kind of bought it with HDR. Yeah. When this phone comes out, I just feel like we're going to do an hour on what is a photo because it's adding detail from a totally different camera. 
Right. That took a picture from a different spot, like a yeah. physically different spot on your phone. Right. Are you going to be able to like do your own composites in camera, like choose different photos? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, but Neil, we've already been here. The telephoto on the Pixel, it uses your handshake to put together a sharper image by getting pixels from multiple different perspectives. And if you set if you set it on a tripod, it literally moves the OIS sensor when you do telephoto so that it can get pixels from different perspectives. Now we're talking like, you know, nanometers mm-hmm. here instead of, you know, mm-hmm. three centimeters over. But what's the difference? I just think once once you've got a different sensor and a different lens. Yeah, you've like you've definitely moved into the realm of like now the robot is just saying things you wish Anthony Bourdain had said, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's just yeah, like yeah. something else is happening and it's worth. We've already got the trypophobia phone, right? The, the with like the fifty lenses on the back of it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm excited to play with it. I think it's very cool sounding. It's, it's just yeah. somebody who takes a lot of photos of a, a fast moving, often blurry child. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see why you'd want to solve that problem with specificity. That data yeah. problem. So here's the more important one. They're claiming that they fixed video, and they showed me a demo of the iPhone 12 Pro Max, the Pixel 5, and the Pixel 6. And the Pixel 5 looked like hot garbage, just like over-sharpened to the max, terrible. Uh, the iPhone 12 Pro Max, it was you know shooting into the sun, and there was like a umbrella, and behind the umbrella it was too light. It should have been darker. And so the Pixel 6 got all that more accurately. And the claim is that they're running their HDR net. This is their AI ML for doing combining pictures on basically every frame. They're basically running the same processes they use to improve their photos on video. And the TPU is what allows it because, you know, 4K video at 30 frames a second is uh, pretty fast. So you need a fast custom-made processor to be able to apply machine learning to all that incoming data. So that this is another one that I really kind of don't understand want to unpack more. So yeah. when you say you're running the HDR pipeline on a photo, mm-hmm. what you mean is you've actually captured multiple photos at multiple mm-hmm. exposures. We've merged them. We've done things like detect faces and skies. That's mm-hmm. all ML. And then we've like produced this complicated collection of pixels that we insist on calling a photo. Yeah. Are they, they're doing that now for every frame of video. So are they collecting multiple exposures for every frame of video? That is an excellent question. Is, is is when you shoot 4K 30, is it actually like 4K 120 and they're like, you know, yeah. taking four and making a single frame and like doing that literally, you know, 30 frames, 30 times a second? And, no idea. And also just ramping the exposure over. Yeah. I can't believe that they're doing that, but I don't know. But they are, they are using, he said, he said, we're using the same HDR net that we use on photos on video. So like, what does that mean? I don't know. What I do know is it means that Google, instead of saying, and it does video, they're saying, no, it does good video. Mm-hmm. And this is this is like the bottom line across all of this stuff is like, is the Tensor processor, the, the system on a chip faster than an A-series or at least a Qualcomm? Does, you know, this all these questions, AI, blah, 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 blah. If it makes the video actually good and yeah. it makes Google actually make claims that they are making the best thing now and we get to like say Google says they're making the best thing and judge that instead of Google made a phone, but you know, they're kind of like, it's kind of mid range. They're kind of half assing it. So, you know, the video is not great, but they're not saying it is, you know, uh, if they're actually making the claim now, that's exciting. Like if the video is good, then hooray. Does it max out at, at 30? Don't know. The number of things they just wouldn't tell you. It's so yeah. funny. <laughs> this is one of the strangest <laughs> phone launches I've ever seen. Like Alex, have you ever encountered a phone launch like this? No, it's it's super super bizarre and like 
I'm just kind of baffled by it, but okay, great. Give me a preview, 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 pre-pre-preview. Google announced the Pixel 5a by denying rumors it was canceled. (laughs) I mean, that that did happen. Like, is this just a symptom of the fact that Google is terrible at leaks? And so they're like, yeah, we're just going to do it all before we announce it for real. Yeah, but like, look, like Samsung will let you pre-order stuff it hasn't announced. You can go and like <laughs> put yourself in a queue to buy the Galaxy Z Fold 3. The president of mobile, TM Rowe, is like, yeah, we're making some folding phones. It's exciting. And then we're going to announce them in you know a couple of weeks. He like wrote a public letter. They're just like, what is a phone announcement anymore? Like, it's just like, we all know that there's going to be a new iPhone. It's like- No, but Apple it, will be like, <laughs> please, we can't possibly talk about rumors and speculation. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but like the Osborne effect, because everybody knows that these companies are just making a phone every year, it's like less and less and less. So, and if you're Samsung, you make 8,000 kinds of phones. You kind of don't care. If you're Google, you definitely don't care about hurting Pixel sales right now, <laughs> right? Yeah. So they're all just like, yep, like, we're, th- there's a phone coming at the same time as always. I think we were talking about this uh, last week with Apple earnings. Right, like the traditional phone buying cycle appears to have just blown up. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of over. Like there's just all these promotions going on. People are everybody in the world has a phone, right? Like the market is utterly saturated. Whatever you just people are just buying phones whenever they need them now. Like there's that two year one year cycle is kind of over, you know. And so I, I think there's an element of this where they're just like it doesn't matter. We just need people in the forums to claim that the pixel camera will blow away Samsung's camera and Apple's camera for the next five months or whatever, however long it's going to be. And that is more important than keeping all the secrets. The problem is if they don't live up to the hype, I mean, and how many times have all of us experienced this? Like (laughs) the hype builds you like, this is how I felt about Starlink. Like I was like, I got it. It's here. Screw you, cable. Oh, no. And then you saw a tree. (laughs) Uh, Right. Like, that's, I think that's the risk for Google. But in the grand scheme of pixel sales, a tiny risk. Like, it can't go worse for them. So, I I yeah, they've kind of hit rock bottom. They are the HTC of. They literally are the HTC. Yeah, they. they (laughs) 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 Oh. R.I.P. So when are we when are we expecting to see this thing, Dieter? They usually uh, announce their flagship pixels in October. Yeah, they just need to survive. They they just need to survive. Hype. No, like yeah. Apple's going to put yeah. out their phones in September if they're on yep. schedule. Mm-hmm. They, Google just bought themselves one month of every comment under every review. A half of tech YouTube is going to be the Pixel camera is going to outdo this thing. Do you think they're going to try to undercut whatever we're going to see from Samsung? Samsung is like not doing well. Yeah, because like this is normally like note time, and we haven't heard about a note. In a well, while. No, we're not getting a note. We know yeah. that for sure. We're getting we're getting folding phones. They didn't talk about folding pixels. I don't think it's going to happen this year. In Android world, this is competing with uh, OnePlus and Huawei? Question mark. Will these phones? Will pixels be sold in China? Doubtful, right? So yeah. um, it's it's like OnePlus and Samsung, like, but mostly Samsung. Yeah. So it's like, do you want a folding phone or do you want a Jordi LaForge phone? Yeah. That will be your choice for Android users. Or a OnePlus that you have to like go buy online. Yeah, you have to like enter a T-Mobile store, say a password. 
be escorted <laughs> down the stairs. Escorted to the back. <laughs> Say another password. Um, the, the local mob boss is there being like, who let this person in here? I just came for the OnePlus. That's actually how they should do it. They'd probably sell more OnePlus phones if they like every T Mobile <laughs> I would, store. I would do that process. Had, like, an like, that would be great. Speakeasy setup. <laughs> it's a, just it's get a free all dolled idea. up to go. Someone call it. Mike Sievert, the CEO of T Mobile. Yeah. Mike, I got an idea for you. He's going to do it. They Because they're like the Renegade brand. Are um, they? I'm going to end this. <laughs> they're, 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 doing the, they're doing the CES keynote now. They're, they are, there's nothing more established and mainstream than running the CES keynote. <laughs> That's fair. Assuming there's, well, I don't know. You could, you could, they could go like full Qualcomm and like just yeah. try to blow people's minds. All right. Pixel in October. We'll see. We're assuming Apple in September. When is yeah. this? The Samsung is like next week. Samsung is uh, August 11th. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's hardware season y'all it's back. Phone here we season, go. Phone season's here. Very excited for all this. Very excited to just fold phones. Like, I'm like, I'm excited to see the Samsung stuff next week. Okay. We're gonna take a break. Russell Brandon is going to join the show. We're gonna talk about this Apple photo scanning system, which seems very complicated. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, we're back. What's that sound? <laughs> it's me. It's my music. Oh my god, is that Russell Brandom's music? Yes, yes it's arrived. It is. Uh, and I'm here to Just out of nowhere. I'm here to, You're here to fight. Talk about tech news. So Russell, I before this is a very deep subject we have to talk about. Well, but yeah. Apple today announced a very serious system for detecting child abuse imagery on their phones. They had a briefing call. You were on it. Yeah. It's the system itself seems very complicated and there's a variety of features across their devices that we should talk about. And then the reaction also seems very complicated. Yeah. So, so what happened is Apple before they did this, because they wanted to be very diligent and we appreciate that they got academic math papers from a bunch of computer scientists 
basically saying that this is cryptographically robust, which it seems like it is. While I do have some concerns, my concerns are not that like the math will break down and not work the way it's supposed to work, right? But cryptographers talk to each other, and this separate cryptographer, Matt Green at, at Johns Hopkins, who's a little, I think, more privacy-minded, sort of raised the alarm being like, this is a new threshold. And I think he had incomplete information. He actually said even before it came out, like he was kind of backing off as he found a little, a few more of the safeguards. But we should say what it actually is. I think the other confusing thing about it is that it's not as if prior to this, Apple was not doing anything to fight this stuff. So it's a little bit of like an incremental advance in particular. So it's a little tricky to find. Okay, so there's some stuff that's just. But what, what is it? Very okay. good, Alex. There's, yeah, like, there's three things. I, yeah, give it to me. The, the simplest possible thing is now if you ask like Siri for child abuse imagery, Siri will like actively be like, hey, that's messed up. You should call this hotline because you don't want to hurt someone. There's something. Un, like wrong happening in your brain. So like it'll Siri will tell you that now, which I understand why this is not like the first thing that they put in Siri, but I don't really have, I don't think anyone really has problems with that. I mean, but, but they've had stuff in Siri before, right? Like when you try to look up abortion clinics and stuff, it would be like, there was some weirdness there at the beginning of Siri. This is, but yeah, but this is on purpose. And they're like, okay, we talked to the, we talked to the clinics and they're like, this is what you tell them. And so they're, they're telling them that. Yeah, you know, I just want to clarify that. Uh, it, the beginning of Siri, yes, it was true. If you asked for an abortion provider, you got weird results. But that was like Apple thought that was bad, and then like, they fixed it over time. Yeah, this is Apple saying in Siri and in on the device search on the iPhone. Yeah, if you ask for this material, or I, I think if you indicate somehow to Siri or search that you're in trouble, a yeah. set of proactive results are delivered to you. They're like, call these numbers. Here are the resources you need. Yeah. So, so that's like just good. It's a little bit like, it's like good PR stuff. I think the other thing is they had previously as part of the iCloud family plan put in systems. If it seemed like kids were taking or receiving messages that were like a little dicey, it would like blur it out and say like, Hey, are you sure you want to see this? This is going up in our sensors is this. Now there's an additional thing that will bring up more resources and also at, at some in some circumstances, like alert the parents, which again, like this is very much in the context of you've gotten an iCloud plan that, that you know, has chosen to do this. So, so that I think is the uncontroversial stuff and I think is, is quite good. The thing that people are freaked out about, and I think it's like when it first hit, the alarm level was at an eight. And now it's been dialed back to like a three, but three is still like more than zero. Uh, so essentially the way a lot of the searches for these images work is that they'll have a hash. This is the same way. Like if you're just checking a password, you check that it hashes to the thing that the hash, the hashes match rather than just storing an actual copy of the password right there. And so it's a similar thing where they don't have to have these huge databases of horrific imagery, they'll just say, okay, does it hash to the same hash that something is is uh, is 
you know, that the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has said is is like something we should watch out for. And this is like if you if you attach something in Gmail, right, if you attach an image, they'll check that you're not using it to do this messed up thing. But if the hash doesn't match, crucially, it doesn't tell them anything about what the image is. It's just like it's not this specific bad one. And then they check for a bunch of bad ones. And if it doesn't match, then that's it. And that's ninety nine point nine nine percent of, you know, the stuff. So this is extending that to iCloud photos, which is remarkable because it's potentially a photo that someone who has iCloud enabled on their phone, but has not ever sent to anyone, right? They just have it and it's in their iCloud. And so there is also a threshold. So if there's just one alert, it won't necessarily trigger it. But if there's like some greater number, but that also makes, because they want to keep the number of false positives as low as they possibly can. So, I, I mean, I think broadly, this is like what the industry standard is. So our friend, friend of the blog, Casey Newton was on the call and his, his question was, who's looking at these? Are these Apple moderators? Are they some freelance company? Because of course, that's always an issue for these things. It's something Casey's written a lot about. My thing was, can we commit that it's just going to be this particular organization that we trust that's generating hashes. Because one of the concerns is Apple does a lot of business in China. That, you know, If someone says, okay, actually, I'm going to put a hash of this picture of Tiananmen Square or something, and so then I'm going to know that's now a forbidden image, it's very difficult to check the hash because the whole point of the hash is you don't have to look at the picture, but suddenly it's generating alerts whenever anyone is sharing the Tiananmen Square image. But let's let's step back and just kind of abstract that out. Yeah. So what Apple is announcing is we've got a system where if you're signed into iCloud, all the photos on your phone back up to iCloud photos. That's just how that works. That's yeah, that's baseline. That's just how iCloud works. Yeah. That's how your phone works. We've now built a system in partnership with NICMIC, which is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. They've got a database of known horrific photos. Yeah. They're generating hashes of those photos and saying, as things go back and forth between iCloud photos, we're going to match the hashes. And if you cross some threshold of horrible photos, Nick Mick will get alerted. And Apple, crucially. Yeah. Isn't there also a piece where that database of hashes itself gets sort of uh, obfuscated so you can't go look at it and see what's in it, and it's actually getting distributed to phones so that it, if you are an iCloud customer but it doesn't get uploaded right away, they still can like get the alert? My sense is that it is when your phone talks to iCloud okay. is when that's happening. But again, like this is stuff that is, if it is on your phone and it's in iCloud photos, it's going to pass through that gate at some point. Like it's not plausible to, to do it without that. I mean, you have to turn off iCloud basically, right? Right. I mean, I think... The thing that Apple is very spooked by is, and I sort of used this language on the call and sort of got yelled at, they really, really do not want us to talk about it in terms of this is Apple scanning the files on your phone. That, that is true. Like, it's not really happening that way. They're checking these hashes. If it does not trigger one of these alerts, they have no idea what any of the pictures are. Like, that is certainly true. And it's sort of as they're passing through this threshold to a cloud service, right? So if the point is, I just don't trust the cloud and I'm going to go live in the woods, 
with my local iPhone, I still have the capability to do that. It's just that like, that's not really how photos work on iPhones. So that system, they've got a phone that takes photos. They've got iCloud photos, which is pretty tightly integrated with the phone. Yeah. It's very hard to have an iPhone without iCloud at this point. And they're saying we've, here's this integrated system that detects child abuse imagery. If you abstract it out one level, what you have is a system that detects pictures. Yes. Right. The danger here is that the Chinese government or some other repressive regime will generate a different set of forbidden pictures and use that to, to chase down iPhone customers. I would also say like there are parts of the world, if you're in Russia or you're in Egypt or somewhere like that, where there are groups that say they're interested in protecting children and what they're really interested in is like beating up random gay people. And obviously Apple does a lot of business in China, right? So the question is, this is what we're trying to like isolate this from. And I think the way that you do that is look very, very carefully at who has the ability to put something in this database, right? Nickmic is fine. Nickmic does great work. They're very, very focused on stopping this stuff. They don't really care about anything else. And I think they're also very like focused on retaining their credibility as an organization that can do this. And they've, they've done a good job at that. Everyone trusts them. We've never really had a reason not to trust them. Um, Nickmic, it's national because it mostly does stuff in the U.S. This is rolling out first in the U.S., I said on the call, you know, Apple, will you will you commit to only doing this with Nickmic? And they said, you know, we're we're expanding to other countries. Other countries, you have different organizations. And like, I mean, what, what's the European equivalent of Nickmic? There is one. I'm sure they don't want to commit to it if they don't have a partnership in place. But it really, really does matter who the organizations are. And so as this expands, my hobby horse is that I will continue to push them to just have a public list of what these organizations are. Mm -hmm. But having said that, I do think fundamentally it's a robust system and it's not what we were worried it would be, which is a sort of backdoor to searches of local content on iPhones. It's definitely not that. But it is a door though, right? Like, like essentially they've said, here is a door. And if you've got the right code, you can come in. Well, I mean, so only for images is the first thing, which is important. Yeah. And I also think only for specifically iCloud photos, right? Right. But like, they now have said, we have a door. So if they go and they're doing business in say, Russia or China, and those countries say, hey, I know about your door. I want, here's my list of things. Here's my, here's what I want you to be checking for. They can say no. And then China can say, okay, then you can't sell phones here anymore. Well, in China in particular, China owns the data center. Like, Yeah, it's, it's like given a lot of places leverage now against Apple, it feels like. There is definitely, I, I think there is a real question. There's always like this sense that China, like someone from the Chinese government is having weird, scary back channel conversations with Apple. And like, I wonder what scary back channel conversation they have in the wake of this being announced. Well, also the U.S. government, like the U.S. government for years was like, give us a backdoor yeah. to your phones. And Apple said no. And now they can say, okay, they can come back again. 
They can say, all right, here's our list of stuff. Tag it. I think the big, big difference is, and this is like across the technology industry and everyone who works with the internet, there's this understanding that child abuse imagery is different. It's like right. extra, extra yeah, bad. Because it, it is. Yeah. It, it's extra bad, right? I feel like everyone is like comfortable saying that. And this is sort of the political proposition of Nick Mick is they are not interested in like catching drug dealers. If they get back one of these hashes and it's just going to them and Apple and it shows like a table with a bunch of cocaine on it, they're going to say this thing's broken, send it back, right? At least that's that's sort of the promise. And that's why we right. should trust them to have this extraordinary access to like iCloud. Your private photos. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. It's extraordinary, but it's because what their the whole purpose of their organization is that this stuff is extraordinarily bad. I think the the concern is that up to now, Apple's had this line that, you know, what's on your iPhone stays your iPhone. The iPhone is is private. And we all know that, like, it's not black and white, complete absolutes, but they could hold to saying it's an absolute weak. There's no way that we could ever access this data. There's like, we don't have access to it. Nobody else could do it. You know, it's impossible. And if we built a backdoor, uh, all hell would break loose. We can't. We can't control the genie once we make once we make the genie. It'll be out of the bottle. Um, and the, so the concern is that this is like a. But actually, you figured it out for this one thing. So the next time the government wants uh, them to do something, they get to say, "But, but actually, wait a minute, you figured it out there." That's the yeah, concern. Yeah. The right? government, I don't know if I buy it, but that's the concern. The government will say that because they're stupid and uh, are f- fail to understand nuance. <laughs> facts. They're going to say it. I know they're going to say Neil, it, but that's why they're going to say it. complain about me if you want, but I'll ask that you not be rude to our government. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> the role reversal on the Verge has to um, It's great. Uh, no, but th- that's what they're going to do. The FBI is going to show up and say, you did this for Nick Mick. Unlock this phone. And these are yeah. two wildly different problems with two wildly different sets of expectations. So if you are already an iCloud user or a Google Photos user or a Gmail user or a Microsoft OneDrive user, the government has access to your stuff. It's just a fact. If you if you back up your iMessages to iCloud, it is possible for the government to show up to Apple with a warrant and get that stuff. Mm-hmm. If you live in China, the Chinese government operates the iCloud data centers. They've got they're in. They're there's they're not talking about the door. They built the door. They designed the lock. Like they're in there. <laughs> what Apple is relentlessly focused on is the phone itself, encrypting the stuff on the phone locally. And they have, as of yet, not allowed the FBI to do that. They claim they don't allow the Chinese government to do it. I think the big question mark here is as the local stuff on the phone and Apple's growing enormous services business merge into one thing using the tremendous power of America's first in the world 5G network. Uh, <laughs> wow. That's my, that's my government for you. Uh, the second anything hits the cloud or a data center, all bets are off. And they always have been. And that, like, that nuance here, that's why, that's why I think this program is ultimately good. But it means that if you don't store your iMessages in, in, in the cloud and the person on the other end doesn't either, you're sort of free to send horrific imagery back and forth. And Apple knows it has a problem with that in iMessage. And they're unwilling to to let anyone in there. And they're like, well, here's this other thing. 
in our cloud services that we can do. And the, the, but the governments around the world are going to say, no, we want a backdoor to the phones. The difference here, Neil, is it's that the link to iCloud Photos for the first time is a difference in policy, not in technology. The hash is stored on the phone. They only apply it the moment it gets uploaded to iCloud Photos. Instead of scanning images in the cloud, the system performs on-device matching using the database of known CSAM image hashes provided by NCMEC and other child safety organizations. Apple further transforms this database into an unreadable set of hashes that is securely stored on users' devices. Before an image is stored in iCloud Photos, an on-device matching process is performed, et cetera, et cetera. So again, I... I think I'm pro this system. I'm pro this system. But the line that has been crossed just with a baby step is if Apple wanted to, it could do that scanning just on the device. On the phone. On the phone. I would also say just to be the Fourth Amendment nerd, like we're talking about San Bernardino. In the San Bernardino case, they got all of this information. They had everything that was in his iCloud because they had particularized suspicion. They were like, this guy is specifically bad. Right. Right. He committed this horrible murder. And we know that there is this crime here and he's directly involved in it. And we would like to see his iCloud. Thank you. And so what is different about this is it's a dragnet. It's sort of the Snowden scale, like it's everything. And I do think Apple understands the gravity of that. And that's part of why they're tiptoeing around it. But yeah, with any of these, it's like there's nothing wrong with this specific thing, but also we're really close to a lot of really dangerous stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good thing they're doing it. It's just it's a slippery slope, right? Like, yes, this is a good reason to do this. Please do this. Like, let's stop this. This is bad stuff happening. But you have now opened yourself up and all of your users and your company that prides itself on privacy. Like this is the thing, like security experts and stuff were using iPhones after all of those dumb private phone, like security phones died in the early 2010s. They started using them because this was the, this was the secure phone. And now it's like, no, it's not actually as secure as we've allowed you to think it is. And here is this new thing. And sure, we're focusing on this really bad thing to stop. But the door's there. The door is open. It, it, it can now be like, it is no longer a wall. It is a door and it can now be opened. <laughs> like, right? I mean, it was never really a wall. It was just like. Yeah. It was like, a, it was a door that looks like a wall. It was like one of those like bookcases. <laughs> yeah. And you were like, and now they've taken the bookcase off and you're like, now it's clearly a door. Do you know in Last Crusade when they're in the the uh, fireplace and then they pull the poker and it rotates around? And yeah. It, it was like That's that. This. It was a yeah. wall feature that then <laughs> spun to, to get you in and out. Yeah. Yeah. And now it is very clearly, we don't have to worry about it. We can see the door from a mile away. And so can everybody else. Yeah. I mean, again, I think that this is like Russell's point, like child abuse imagery and NCMEC, like their entire, like that zone, everyone agrees the problem is so severe and so bad that we should build tools to stop it. Right. Okay. So we've, we've built some and Apple built them in, in their way and they say they're more private and there's all these layers of cryptographic security abstractly you have now built a tool to detect images on people's phones and you could repurpose that technology stack. If you are a authoritarian government 
And like, really the only thing stopping that from happening is like Tim cook. Well, I, Tim cook is all that stands between your phone. So I, I do think the optimistic version of this is that there is a political consensus that is built around Nick Mick. And if it isn't that specific organization, like if it's just like Nick Mick starts to sprawl out and they're also really mad at Trump now and they're also like trying to find tax returns or something, people would very quickly be like, I don't actually trust you to be the arbiter of what is bad and what is good. And I think like we look at these situations all the time where we're like, but they're not the arbiter in this case. It's it's Apple giving them the access. Yeah, a- Apple's giving them the access. But I'm saying like Apple Apple's is the giving arbiter them of the this. access, right? And that's right. The reason people are okay with it is they're okay with Nick Nick. Whereas like Facebook is shopping around saying, is there some group of organizations we can get where people will trust them? to say what is hate speech? And the answer is you just can't. There is no such organization because hate speech is like conceptually problematic and everyone disagrees about what it is. And like, there's just no political coalition around that. And so the thing that they're trying to do can't be done, right? Whereas like Nick Big, to their credit, everyone trusts them to have one ring. And so they get it. But I think if they were not trusted, and also if you give it to an organization elsewhere that is not trusted, you do potentially start to see that political sort of consensus start to fret. And But I think this is like, you described the worry is going from an eight to a three. Oh, yeah. And like somewhere along, the eight was, they've built this abstract system that can detect photos on your local storage. And it went to a three because they explained what it was. They did do the work where they had a bunch of cartographers in the mix. And they said, it's Nick Mick at the end. Right. And you can, I think that was like the path from very like lots of worry to it's pretty like we should talk about it, but we're not freaking out anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I would also say it's particularly the threshold thing where, you know, we're, what we're talking about here are essentially errors and it would now they, can't really say what the threshold is, but it's like five or six things. And so it, it's a very plausible mechanism for keeping the false positive rate very, very low, which is what they say they want. And so I think that in particular made a lot of people feel, like I said, not entirely, amazingly, absolutely comfortable with it, but like significantly more comfortable with it. But at the end of this chain, there is some sort of human review, right? Like one of the one of the early concerns was that someone could send a bunch of these images to you in some way, and then your phone would, would you know, get flagged, and then the police would show up at your door because someone was trolling you or whatever. But Apple is saying like that the, the last step before they alert the authorities is there's a human at Apple who somehow reviews something yeah, I mean, th- well, this yeah. is this was Casey's concern is that like, yeah, so then you have a moderator looking at this, these horrific, this horrific imagery saying like, yep, that's horrific. We should go get that guy. Right. And it's both really important and also kind of an extension of this sort of awful, like, just workplace story that 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 he's written about. So. I mean, I do think, that, and this was one of the other things they said, is that they were like, look, we've built this system to identify child abuse imagery. If we start to get sort of results from it that are not that, because it's 
someone tagged a, a text post making fun of Chairman Xi, then we're going to know about it and we're going to take action. Now, again, this depends how much you trust NICMIC. It depends how much you trust Apple. It depends how much you trust sort of the other groups that are eventually let into this room. But I do think that's a robust part of the chain. Yeah. I, when is this all rolling out in the next versions of the operating systems? So it's in iOS 15. And they say by the end of the year, it's like an update within the thing. Okay. So I, my sense is that it rolled out today to a chaotic amount of controversy that does seem to have been slightly quelled. My sense is we're going to hear about this a lot again when it actually ships, right? Because they're going to, now that, now that they've announced it, they're going to receive a lot of questions and a lot of concern. They're going to have to address them in some way. Yeah. I mean, I do think a lot of it they're hoping will just be invisible in the background because, you know, again, if if there's one false report in a trillion, then hopefully no one is encountering bad things about it. And also, I mean, the other concern is if we do start seeing bad reports, I don't think people are going to be screaming from the rooftops that they were falsely accused of child abuse imagery. Like I that's potentially just not something that they're going to want to publicize. So, I mean, you worry about that too, but I, I don't know. I do think one of the scary things about it is like, this may be all we hear about it for a while, whether it goes well or it goes badly. That's why it's sort of like now is the time to get commitments out of them. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. I do think it is notable that Apple, the company that has staked its entire reputation on privacy is starting to realize like, Oh, we need to, we need to build some systems around that when the problem is this bad, right? Like there's another way for them to approach this and it is to be ideologically rigid. And I don't think they can do that at their scale. So that's interesting, but we'll, we'll see. Well, I just suspect Russell, you're going to be writing about this one or two more times the next few weeks. <laughs> that could be, well, you, you're in a good position to make that prediction. Aren't you? <laughs> I just, I just, I just see the the chatter, and I, I don't think it's going to resolve. And I, I do think they need to answer a few more questions. But I'm, I agree with everybody else. Like the problem is bad, and if we have the tools to stop it, we should try to stop it. The compromises to stop it, to the overall functionality of the phone, are worth discussing, right? Like that's like that is the privacy debate at every level, and I think this is the first time we've seen Apple literally give anyone any sort of view as abstracted as it is into what is directly locally on your phone. I wonder if they're going to run that. What happens on your phone stays on your phone ad anymore. Cause now everybody can point to this thing. Yeah. They can't run it anymore. It's becoming a real don't be evil style thing where it mostly exists for people to throw it back at Apple. Pretty much. Uh, this is why you should never say anything about yourself or do any marketing whatsoever. <laughs> uh, Just shut up and do it. Cell right. phones. Russ, do we play you off too? Do you have entrance music uh, and exit look, music? I, I love the sound of the music. So I, I, the more we use it, the better for me. Right, I get, Andrew, I get royalties. It so it, it's money in my pocket. <laughs> oh horrible. my God. Uh, we're going to get a content ID strike. It's going to be great. All right, Russell, thank you very much. Yep. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back. Thanks again to, to our man, Russell Brandon. Do you know there's just a... A grab bag of gadget news here at the end here. Also, you've given me a new segment, which I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Tell me, tell me what's up going on here. Uh, so uh, Google just finally, finally announced a whole slew of new Nest cameras. And to me, the important thing is they finally have a battery-powered Nest doorbell. Uh, so you don't have to wire it, which is very exciting. The interesting thing about this lineup of cameras is that they have uh, tensor processing units inside them. They have TPUs, uh, which they're using to you know, identify humans. Uh, Google's big claim is that these things are better and faster at identifying the movement you actually want instead of just you know random movement. And uh, so that's potentially exciting. They've got smart camera specs. They're not mm-hmm. 4K, which is fine. That's weird. Um, well, they, they say that what matters more is HDR and what matters more is, you know, low light. And so they're not doing 4K on it. I think so that's So we're fine, not quite to the enhanced zoom. We're yeah. not quite to the enhanced zoom. Yeah, I mean, 4K does let you like crop in a little bit, I suppose. But, you know, there's a flood camera. One of the outdoor cameras you can mount with a magnet in case you're not worried about anybody just reaching up and grabbing it, which <laughs> that's is cool. amusing. But I, w- like, I would do that in my house. Yeah, but you want you might want to do that just because uh, you, you know you could recharge these things if you choose to get the battery powered ones instead of the the ones that get wired directly into your house. So that's that. I don't know. We'll see. I'm excited to see if they're better than my uh, shitbox ring doorbell camera. Yeah, I as like- a renter, these all sound very renter friendly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a bunch of ring cameras. There's nothing scarier than when we get the alert. It's like there's a person in the backyard. Yeah, but it's like the reflection of the moon. Yeah, but you have that one moment of just like there's a person the, in the, the terror. Is it a ghost? And I'm like, I'm gonna. What? I got a kitchen knife. I got there's a bow and arrow downstairs, like a kid's bow and arrow. Was will that oh help God. me? <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> like I, that's not going to look very menacing at all. <laughs> no, you need you need to you need to scare them with absurdity. You just got to <laughs> come up with the strangest Sorry. thing you can. And like Sorry. I don't want any part of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy in here. Um, so if, if, if Google's smarter than that, uh, more power to them. Yeah. Apple says they have a next generation under display selfie camera. We've seen selfie camera photos before and they've been, um, what's the word? Awful. <laughs> uh, but Apple says the next one that they've got is better. And there is a rumor that a leaker has said that the under display camera on the Galaxy Z Fold 3, by the way, there might be an under display camera on the Galaxy Z Fold 3, is, quote, quote, is not bad, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> so that could be good. That's exciting. It's fine. Yeah. Maybe um, not fine. Okay. 
Yeah. Uh, and then, okay, so Apple announced some stuff. They have new Mac Pro configurations with uh, GPUs and uh, Radeon options so that they have not completely stopped making Intel computers, I guess. Well, and also they are apparently capable of getting AMD GPUs. Yeah. Well, this, they're the only ones. <laughs> they're the ones. Well, they're only going to ship like six of them, right? Like, Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like they're custom, they're custom built, too. It's the, the MPX module, not, yeah. not just like a regular right. card. Right. So don't buy one of these. Take the card out and try to return it or something. Wow. It'll be useless. I mean, <laughs> it was going to be useless anyway, but it'll be really useless for you. Right, right. They also finally released the ability to buy the new Touch ID Magic Keyboard and associated touchpad on their own instead of just getting with an iMac. I almost bought one of these. I love it, but I can't justify it. But what would you plug it into? To. Well, I I use my Mac in like headless mode. I've got okay. a I've got a, a MacBook that like is sitting behind my desk, and I'm in looking at one monitor here. So I I'm typing my password in all the time, or I'm waiting like three seconds for my watch to like make yeah, a weird yeah, vibration yeah. so I can do it. But it's good that they're available. And then uh, we did see a leak of uh, someone actually got a hold of an AirPower wireless charger. Yeah. Uh, so Tom it did exist. It did. It did exist. Tom got some photos. One he talked to the person who has it. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious because. It's, it still doesn't work. <laughs> like, like, why didn't this thing ship? It's because the prototypes themselves did not work. So it has 22 yeah. coils, but apparently only three of them work. Yeah. And because it's a prototype and it needed software support in the devices, it doesn't, doesn't do anything. Yeah. But it looks cool. It does. It does look. It looks like an oval. Yeah. It, yeah. No, hang on. But if you look at the, the chip stuff on the inside, if you have a dead, 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 dead wireless charger, I invite you to take it apart before you electronically recycle it, put it into e-waste, and just look at how complicated your Qi charger is and compare it to this. <laughs> because, oh my God. <laughs> There's a lot going on. <laughs> uh, it's hard to believe they ever planned to sell this. It was going to make a hundred bucks, right? Like they were, Yeah. I don't know. It's just like the definition of overcomplicated. Yeah. Well, it's ridiculous. It's. I'm glad I, I've thoroughly enjoyed looking at these photos. You should go. Yeah. Well, you know what might have happened is uh, they could have released this thing if Elon Musk had been the the CEO of Apple. Uh. This was, I think, my favorite story of the week. Well, please tell us what happened. <laughs> so there's a new book out called Power Play, Tesla, Elon Musk, and the rest. It's by this guy, Tim Higgins. As books do, as in the run up to publication, there are excerpts everywhere. So the excerpt that got all of the attention was Tim Cook and Elon Musk apparently had a conversation about Apple buying Tesla. And Elon said, great, I want to be the CEO. Tim Cook was like, sure, you can continue to be the CEO of Tesla. Elon was like, no, the CEO of Apple. And Tim <laughs> Cook, according to this excerpt, said, fuck you and hung up, which is a great story. Yeah. Every, it's great on so many levels. Everybody like- has just vigorously denied this story. To yeah. the point of absurdity, Elon was like, I've never seen Tim Cook. I don't even recognize the name. And then people are like, here's a photo <laughs> of you and Tim Cook at the White House like two years ago. Like they've obviously encountered each other, but yeah. they all claim that this never happened. I'm pretty sure if the phone carriers could like, if we knew who the phone carriers were, they would also say that this call never happened. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just everybody's like, no, no, it didn't exist. Yeah, this, Don't know what you're talking happened. about. But uh, now I'm very excited to read this book. By the way, uh, Elon also announced in the wake of this book that Walter Isaacson, who wrote the Steve Jobs book, uh-huh. is writing about him. Oh. Which so, is an uh, absolutely- Elon Musk is going to crack TV now. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, two <laughs> things. One, Walter Isaacson has not said anything. 
Like <laughs> Elon, right? The, 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 he has the exact personality that would announce that he personally would announce that he has commissioned a biography of himself. Yeah. Not the author, which is just like <laughs> backwards. Uh, and, uh, second. He's going to self-publish it. Yeah, he's, every Tesla when you pub. it will just like audiobook as you drive. Um, oh my god! <laughs> also, the Walter Isaacson jobs book is very bad. Like it's very bad. It contains, for example, without any scrutiny, uh, Bill Gates saying that Apple bought Next and all they got was Steve Jobs and they never used the Next operating system. Hmm. And. Like the iPhone runs on that. Like they obviously <laughs> got the next. Anyway, we'll we'll see how badly Musk can roll Walter Isaacson. Yeah, but I I just enjoyed him tweeting. Like I'm having a biography. Like because of this other book that's out, he's like throwing the curveballs. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what else happened? Oh, uh, okay. Disclosure: My wife works for Facebook. Reality Labs division of Facebook, which makes the Oculus. Uh, but uh, they were in the news this week, and uh, I'm not going to talk about it because somebody else has to. I'm it's just going to so be like, terrifying. oh my God. It's yes. so it terrifying. It is so terrifying. <laughs> Everybody, I, I want you to like if pull over wherever you are, just go look up this story and look at these images. Well, can you just say this, what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This researcher, it was just like one researcher went to his boss and was like, hey, I have an idea. When people are wearing their, their VR headsets, we can't see their eyes. That's a problem. So what if we create digital eyes to beam out from the front of the headset? And his boss was like, that's really stupid. I mean, okay, go do it, but that's so dumb. <laughs> and so he did it, and it's just a nightmare. It's just absolutely, it looks like, like, Terry, you remember in um, 12 Monkeys? Yes. The guys in yes, the future with, like, the, that's what it looks like. It's just these really almost grotesque, super exaggerated eyes slapped on the front of a VR headset. And I adore it. I love everything about it. But I would never, like, I don't think anybody who actually is a human being has, like, interacted with this. I mean, they like, made it. Who, they spent, like... Yeah, that, that guy. He's just, interacting, like, in the mirror. I like, <laughs> I don't see how anybody else is, like, looking at that and being like, you did a good job. It's like, he, this is what he did in quarantine. He's like, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, dude, you just haven't been outside in here. Um, but the idea of this is that you will never take the headset off. Yeah. Right? That yeah. you're always wearing the headset, and then sometimes you need to like interact in the real world. So you turn on pass-through mode, and your eyes will appear on the front of the headset as you like walk <laughs> around your house. And it's like, there's a much simpler solution to this problem. <laughs> Just like, push. <laughs> Just like, a finger it's can tremendous. help you here. I love it. I've never taken my headset off. All right, Dieter, you got to, you got to, we got, we got what, another hour? For, you, you go in on dot pause. So listen, I have never seen an open standard die that I didn't want to talk about. Uh, <laughs> So dot .puz, dot .puz is a uh, crossword puzzle file format uh, that is used by uh, crossword puzzles around the world. And uh, the New York Times has just announced that they are no longer going to support it. So you can't do the New York Times crossword puzzle in third-party apps. This is a problem for 
at least three groups of people. First group is people who just like using other apps other than the New York Times crossword puzzle app. The second group is people who use those apps because they're more accessible because the New York Times crossword puzzle app is not the most, does not have the most accessibility options of all the crossword puzzle apps. And the third group are all of the SEO scammers who automatically parse .puz <laughs> files and make web pages for every single New York Times crossword puzzle clue that are perfectly designed to scam the hell out of Google. And they just always appear if you search, if you search for a New York Times crossword puzzle clue, these things, these these scammy websites that are created automatically are always at the top because it's one of those information deserts, right? Mm-hmm. Like who else is searching for this exact, you know, random phrase that Will Shorts came up with? Uh, nobody. So like <laughs> these scam websites appear. My hunch is that the Times got rid of it because they want to do more weird, wacky stuff with their crossword puzzles, have like animations and features and, you know, clever puns that are visual and whatever. And they can do that on their own app, but it doesn't appear in .puzz because .puzz is basically, you know, like a text file. So once again, the uh, the ecosystem of, you know, third-party apps uh, interacting with each other and using feeds has died because a website wants to make something more proprietary so that they can add new features because having an open standard slows down innovation, apparently. But they're the only ones making the standard. Oh no, there's all sorts of uh, there's there's dot puzzles from everybody. Everybody but, makes dot puzzle files. It's a, it's been around forever. The LA Times, like the, the but there, family but the values. New York Times is the dominant provider of dot puzzles. I just the want New York to say Times is the dominant provider of everything. I mean, like they they just they had like their their earnings, their quarterly whatevers, and they they just we're all gonna we're all either gonna go work for one of the big five tech companies or we're all gonna work for the New York Times. They just they dominate everything. What do you want? I'm no, I'm gonna stay here in the woods. I'm gonna be <laughs> okay. fine. You can't have me. Yeah. Uh, no, there's lots of there. If if you are interested in um, crossword puzzles, there are lots of really cool puzzle providers out there that beyond the New York Times. Check out American Family Values crossword pu- puzzles. They're great. They're super fun. I saw a really good thread um, from Randy Picker, who's an antitrust professor at the UFC, mm-hmm. and he was like, "You know, these antitrust bills might prevent the Times from closing dot puzzles." Like. Oh my God. They're a dominant <laughs> provider in an ecosystem. <laughs> they have this like repeated pattern of dealing and interoperability. Yeah. This would be a problem. Like the interop bills that yeah. you might force the times to make their apps interoperable. See what we need, <laughs> which is was like just the- very good. Like what is the best unintended consequence of this is like yeah. tightly regulating the crossword puzzle market. There's going to be a formation of a, a international standards group to cover the file <laughs> format for distributing crossword puzzles. It's going to get subsumed into the W3C, yeah. and it'll just become a web standard next to XML and RSS. It's going to be great. Does somebody own the .puzz format? If I you're the maintainer know. of .puzz, please talk to me. I have some questions for you. <laughs> Let's questions. Uh, and now for our new weekly segment, <laughs> oh, at and you. They just won't stop doing stuff. All right. Here are my here. Are my, well, actually, I'm going to start with not AT and T. Okay. I'm going to start with T-Mobile. Yeah. T-Mobile bought Sprint. You will recall. Yep. The, the promise of them buying Sprint was that they would then support Dish Network. Yep. And building a new 5G network called Project Genesis with a five. <clears throat> in place of I'm, one. Of the, in place of one of the S's. Yeah. Still with you. Okay. So they did all that. None of that has come to pass. This is where AT&T comes in. Dish Network is now partnered with AT&T to support its network efforts as it builds out Project Genify Sys. 
<laughs> okay, so then T-Mobile over here is going to shut down Sprint's LTE network and repurpose all that spectrum for its own 5G efforts, which is the the very network that that Dish had to switch to because T-Mobile wouldn't provide them. The network, yeah, it's like the network that T-Mobile that Dish was supposed to be using, and now they use and like T-Mobile ran them out of town, so they went to AT and T. So now T-Mobile is like, great, we got rid of those jerks. We're yeah. shutting the Sprint LTE network down. Okay. All that's horrible. I just want to call out this headline from Heim Gartenberg that I totally forgot that we had ever published. Heim, in September 28th, 2018, Sprint points out that its LTE network is, in fact, trash. Which <laughs> 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 is very good. <sighs> so, so it's no great loss that's, that T-Mobile is going to reform the spectrum and make its own network better. But it is very hilarious that they just ran Dish away from them yeah. to the waiting arms of AT&T so it could mm-hmm. run with this plan that was obvious to everyone except our nation's regulators. Okay, so that's one merger that went horribly awry unless you are, in fact, a T-Mobile executive. AT&T, my favorite, my baby. <laughs> Your horrible, <laughs> messy, messy baby. Uh, I pay this company so much money every month. I wrote for Vox.com this week. I wrote, they were like, what's, they did a thing, like the worst money you've ever spent. Yeah. I yeah. like, asked all these people for little entries. And mine was, my family spends over $500 a month on AT&T because they've just merged into every corner of our lives. Like just a rolling wave of mergers just took over my family. Now we, it's very complicated. Anyhow, AT&T bought, Direct TV for billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. They bought Time Warner for billions of yeah. dollars. Then they realized they owned Direct TV and Time Warner, and they had no fucking idea what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> Was this before or after everybody from these companies are like, well, we're out of here? No, first they fired everybody. It's like okay. thousands of layoffs. Thousands upon thousands of layoffs. Like this merger destroyed lives, bled all the talent from Warner Media. They launch mm. HBO Max. Yep. Then they realize, okay, we got to get out of this. They sell Warner Media to Discovery, a deal mm-hmm. that has not closed but appears to be on track. For they bought it for eighty something billion. They're selling it for forty something billion. Great. Then what a deal. They're like, crap. We still own Direct TV. <laughs> Why did anybody notice this? Does anybody read the ledgers? Yeah. So they have now officially closed the deal to spin Direct TV off into a partnership with a private equity firm called TPG. Uh huh. The company throughout this entire process, they only refer to the new company as New Direct TV. They're like, Direct TV will be spun off into a new corporate entity currently known as New Direct TV. The deal has closed. New DirecTV announced its new name, which is DirecTV. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Many, many lawyers made a lot of money along these roads. Along for the ride, AT&T also sold its other TV business, AT&T TV, which you may remember was once called AT&T TV Now. Yeah. Right? They have like 45 rebrandings. They were like AT&T TV. Yeah. That is now part of direct, new DirecTV, which is DirecTV, and that has been renamed DirecTV Stream. No. <laughs> and then all of this is like, there's an asterisk, which is like, none of this includes HBO Max. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, oh, and they also spun off UVerse. They're they're like broadband cable service. That's all part of DirecTV. But DirecTV is going to shut that down. They're not taking new customers. Right. So DirecTV now consists of a zombie satellite business where the CEO was like, I still think people, there's another 10 years in this. And he goes, 10 years after that, maybe not so much. But there's another 10 years in this. <laughs> it's, like, it's just an incredible quote. Then they've got their streaming service, DirecTV Stream. Yeah. Which is, if anyone has ever used it's AT&T TV, it's very bad. So bad. Uh, and then they've got this like dying Uber's brand. And that's a company now that is owned by private equity. And if you just like Katie wrote about it, if you look at our comments, our comments are like, oh, the vultures have come for me. Yeah. Like also like a lot of direct TV customers being like, I was really hoping the service would be better. And now I know it won't. <laughs> <laughs> And then over here is Warner Media, which is going to Discovery. And Warner, you know, they're like, Katie also wrote a great piece about the Black Widow lawsuit. Scarlett Johansson is suing mm-hmm. Disney over lost royalties because it was supposed to be a big theatrical release and it ended up on Disney Plus. Jason Clark at Warner Media, he just like did that at the beginning of the pandemic, pissed everybody off, lost Tenet, right? Like, lost yeah. Christopher Nolan. He did it with Tenet. He lost Christopher Nolan, but they're doing better. Mm-hmm. Like, the movies are coming out. Suicide Squad is out today. Like, they're on the cadence. They've like, made everybody angry. Okay. It's a big, there's a big podcast conference this week called podcast movement. Ashley Carmen's there. AT&T has news. Yeah. Start doing podcasts in HBO, HBO max. Got a new (laughs) Batman series. It's like a radio play. And they're like, it's going to be in the app. And Ashley's like, great. Is your app a podcast app? Like, for example, can it play when the phone is locked? And they're like, not at this time. (laughs) What are you doing? <laughs> it, it's just like the most tremendous cluster. Like they take two steps forward and they're like 5,000 steps back. I love this company. I'm addicted to it. And this has been another edition of, oh, AT&T, you. <laughs> it won't ever stop. If someone, I can't, I'm never going to leave them. I'm just never going to leave them. So wait, how many TV services did they go from? They went from like 25 different streaming services a year ago to one, two? At some point, the CEO of AT&T was like, even I can't keep them straight. Yeah. <laughs> it, the real thing that's going to happen in DirecTV is that the rights to Sunday Ticket, the NFL service, yeah. are going to come up and Apple or Amazon is going to buy them. Yep. Because they have unlimited money. And now DirecTV doesn't even have AT&T's much more limited money. They're just their own company owned by private equity. And they're like, I don't know, 10 more years. Like, (laughs) yeah, they're just going to lose that fight. And then there's, there'll be nothing left. They're just going to be sending explainer videos to people on how to set up like just regular over the air antennas. Yeah. So they can continue to get service. Um, Their marketing pitch lines are very much like we're totally focused on video. It's like, where have you been? (laughs) So is everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) They're pivoting. Okay. Well, if any AT&T executives want to talk to me, uh, please feel free. Uh, I've I've been asking for years. Mostly been turned down. (laughs) Uh, It could change. I want to call it a story. uh, Actually, Russell, it's Russell's story. It's called the sacking of a crypto mecca. He went to a, a, a small town that had basically set itself up to like run on Bitcoin Mm-hmm. And then the feds noticed. And it's just like, <laughs> We're like, no. Showed up and arrested everybody. It's great. You should read the story. I am hoping 
some like Hollywood producer makes a heist movie out of it. Mm. Putting that out there. Rihanna, if you know anybody. <laughs> Riri, we got a pitch for you. <laughs> uh, and then I want to call it Zoe Schiffer, who has been doing just incredible reporting on the internal culture of Apple and the employee unrest at Apple that mm-hmm. usually never comes out into view. Apple employees pushing back about return to work, pushing back to make sure that they're paid equitably across different um, demographic lines. A senior engineering manager was put on leave this week for tweeting about sexism in the office and reporting it. There's a lot there, and Zoe has been chasing it. So I want to call her out. Her stories, I think, provide a really unique view into that company that we just have not seen for a long time. On Decoder this week, I talked to Neil Mohan, the chief product officer at YouTube. I encourage you to listen to that conversation. I don't think the transcript really, you can just hear me running into a brick wall is what I would say. (laughs) So I would listen to that one. He answered some of the questions he did. I like Neil. I think he's, he's, he's very smart, but I think YouTube's response to questions is to become more opaque. Yeah. And I think that, that I love publishing the transcripts. I think they make decoder much more valuable over time. We're always going to do that. This is one run. I think Listening to the opacity increase is like very telling about YouTube. So I encourage you to listen to that. Next week on Decoder, Argo AI, self-driving company, their CEO, Brian Selesky. I will tease by asking this, self-driving CEO. I was like, hey, we did all this 5G stuff. Did it Did it help? I'm not going to tell you what his answer was. I think you're going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, you can tweet at us. Dieter's at Backlon. Alex is Alex H. Kranz. Russell is Russell Brandom. I'm at Reckless. We love hearing from you. That's it. That's a Virgcast. Rock and roll. Get a vax. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.